Hey, I'm Matt Ruby. And I'm Rob Kramer. Welcome to another episode of Hell and Wellness. I am a comedian and I'm not like a health freak. I'm healthy and I'm a little bit freaky. And I, uh, I'm a actually recovering health freak, health addict. Um, and uh, hopefully by this time in my life, uh, I feel a little bit more balanced and a little bit more healthy. So it's hopefully moving in the right direction. Yeah, and uh, boy, I am ashamed about a lot of things I've done in my life and fascinated by the concept of shame. So this is going to be an interesting episode because we're going to talk about shame, about how it can be a positive thing. It can also be a toxic thing. And how do we navigate the world of shame and how it's used today in our society? And Matt, I think you should be ashamed for admitting how shameful you feel about the topic of shame that we're going to talk about. And I'm feeling particularly shameful for shaming you for even actually talking about it in the first place. Well, I appreciate your vulnerability. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, get some shame on. And quick note: we are not doctors. This is not medical advice. Don't take us that seriously and change your life and inject things or anything like that. We're here to entertain you to give you our perspective on the world of wellness. So please, before you do anything serious, check with the doctor. In my experience, most people feel uncomfortable acknowledging their own feelings of shame. They try to keep them at a distance by denying that they feel them, or by calling them by some other name like embarrassment that doesn't carry such a strong negative charge. If you're like most people, you may find yourself resisting the main message of this course, that shame is a pervasive and common experience in daily life you might find it hard to accept that shame sometimes has a useful lesson to teach. As we go forward, keep an open mind and try not to assume that shame is bad. Yes, there are toxic forms of shame that we need sometimes to resist, but listening to your shame rather than fighting it is sometimes important. All right, Rob, let's talk about shame. How are you with shame? Do you feel ashamed? Are you, are you ashamed at all? I, I've had my uh, periods of feeling intense shame, especially as a young kid. Yeah, I've had some I've had some seminal shame experiences. Yeah, I feel like uh, my shame comes and goes, but you know, there's certain themes and it's there. I, 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 I wanted to talk about shame as a topic because I think it's interesting because it's definitely addressed a lot in our society right now, I think overwhelmingly as a toxic force, you know, in terms of uh, things like body shaming or slut shaming or, or other things. like Any form of shaming is sort of frowned upon. Uh, and I understand why, of course, you know, uh, a lot of times it's associated with, uh, you know, if there's you've had an abusive parent or uh, some sort of trauma or sexual assault, uh, bullies, uh, a lot of times will use it as a way to go after their victim's uh, sense of self-worth. And, you know, obviously there are many times where shame is bad, but I thought it would be interesting to explore how also shame has, for much of our history, been a force for good. And that person who we just heard talking at the top of this episode is a guy named uh, Joseph Burgo. He's a practicing psychotherapist for more than 35 years, wrote a book called Shame, uh, Free Yourself, Find Joy, and Build True Self-Esteem. Uh, and I think it's got some interesting concepts, uh, and he does too, and what he talks about. I do have a tough time listening to him talk. I, I, one thing I've noticed is that like therapists, uh, and especially like the public-facing ones, I feel like they're always addressing me like I'm a child, you know, and I, I exist in the realm of like comedy clubs and and sort of like it's actually I almost feel like a comedy club is more of a safe space 
than a therapist's office because comedy like when they grown-ups are talking to other grown-ups and they're cursing and they're making fun of each other and they're saying whatever the hell they want to say i feel like that is actually a safe space whereas when there's one of these people who wants to know that shame is not always a bad thing and you know he's wearing the glasses and i get it and he's doing his job and he's working with children or other people who've been through trauma i understand but i have a tough time relating to that mode of communication do you know what i'm saying i 100 percent know what you're saying having been in and out of therapy over the years the very thing that they're calling out that shame doesn't have to be a bad thing coming out of their mouth it sounds like a fucking bad thing <laughs> it's right? true. It, it's like, look, this is going to be a little bit uh, touchy here, so I'm going to tread very carefully. Yeah, there's totally like this sort of uh, in there, uh, me thinks thou doth protest too much in how the, you're telling me this is not a big deal. But I'm interested in hearing, though, how shame is a good thing, because I'm all I'm all for that one. Well, yeah. So let's uh, what we need to do is look. Uh, evolutionary science has looked at this a lot. And like, what is the purpose of shame? Because it's obviously like a recurring thing. It's not like we just invented in the past couple of decades. It's existed forever. It must provide some benefit to us from an evolutionary perspective. And what these studies have found is that it actually promotes social cohesion. And it goes back to when we lived in small tribes and our survival depended, you know, heavily on cooperating with the people around us. Um, and the tribal expectations for behavior became very important. And if you were someone in the tribe who violated the rules, you would be shunned and shamed. And that might like kick you out of the tribe or doom you to being, you know, uh, on your own forever if you didn't follow the rules and work together. So shame actually served the purpose of like binding us and tying us together and keeping us connected as a community. And it also helped define the shared values that we all kind of believed in and shared. So it was a it was an evolutionary uh, survival mechanism. Yeah, so it was sort of a binding you know perspective. And I think what we'll start to see as we go through some of the discussion of shame, um, and it's a theme that we wind up you know I think interacting with a lot is is uh, sort of when we were in small tribes or you know more of a community based society or family based society versus the lives that we lead in the typically in the West now of like much more. Uh, individuality focused and ego focused and and it's all about you and your needs and and the needs of the group are not as important it's much more about individuality whereas i think uh shame you might find more in societies that are more uh, community oriented where it's about like making sure that everyone else approves of what you're doing and that you're fitting in and i think uh as as westerners and as americans that's challenging for us i think we're, we're conditioned to think that that's not necessarily the right way to be and i think that's tied in with how much we have rejected shame within our society and consider it toxic yeah i you know i think about there's so many different forms that shame comes in as you said they're the very extreme forms of you know the shame around someone being sexually molested or this of being beaten or uh being shunned from a social grouping or like a you know a clique let me ask you this would this be considered shame when i was in probably third or fourth grade had a bunch of friends in the neighborhood and we used to have little wrestling matches and i was wrestling one day on Lloyd Myers front lawn and you know all the people in in the neighborhood uh, knew we were all out and the parents knew it and it was a nice summer night and uh, it got a little rough and Lloyd and I started throwing a little fisticas and we started getting into it and my dad from like a half a street away uh, heard that I was in a fist fight with some kid and he ran over and all my friends were surrounding us and we were having a great time. And of course I was, you know, I was, 
I was the the Frasier to his, you know, Ali, I suppose. But um, my dad yanked me out of the fight in the middle of it in front of all my friends. And so you and were ashamed that your dad. I never felt your peer so gr- much your peer shame. group. Yeah. Yes. I felt so shamed, ashamed in front of. And basically it was very, I mean, for, you know, having even reached puberty. So to say it was an emasculating experience. I haven't even gotten there. But here we were. You're going ahead to where I was going to wind up later, but let's go there now. Brene Brown, who you may have heard of, she's got like one of the most popular TED Talks and talks a lot about vulnerability. Shame is one of the things that comes up. And one of the things that she brings up is how shame is very gendered. So, And she talks about how shame for women is often this, uh, like what she calls a web of unobtainable, conflicting, competing expectations. Like you're supposed to have a career and be a good mom and be a good wife and all these things. And if you're not, you know, making it all work, that that can be a source of shame often for women. But for men, shame is not a bunch of, you know, sort of competing expectations. It's not that complex. Shame is one thing. And for men, it's being perceived as weak. Mm. And that is wow. the cause of shame for men and where so many vulnerability issues originate for men. And I, I totally can see that. And uh, I, I thought it was sort of like a fascinating thing from someone who studied shame to be like, oh, f- for women, it's complicated. For men, it's simple. You don't want to seem weak. Interesting. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And it obviously dates back to the beginning of sort of humanity. And when, like you said, we lived in tribes and early civilizations or even in the caves. And I'll give you an example that's uh, similar, uh, something that I'm ashamed of and probably still to this day. But I remember when I was a child, you know, playing, uh, I, I played soccer and uh, every week. And when I, uh, as a child, I, I would, I don't want to say I was faking injuries, but like during the game, the frequency with which I would get hurt and they would have to stop the game and everyone would have to rush over and make sure I was okay in a way that I was not legitimately injured. You know, I didn't actually need to be carried off the field. Uh, now that I'm saying it, I even remember one time at summer camp, I, I they called an ambulance for some injury that I had. So I think I've gone through a journey with this. I think for years I felt ashamed of it. And now after, you know, growing up and also, you know, some therapy being like, huh, that sounds like a kid who was not getting enough attention at home or like maybe was uh, was crying out in some way for like, hey, can someone pay some attention to me here? Because uh, and if I have to cry and, and, you know, be injured, maybe that's the way I'll get it. And, you know, fast forward to, you know, spending decades as a performer being on stage and needing the adoration and attention of crowds. I think you see a through line through all of that in a way that I don't think I was cognizant of at the time. But when I look back at it now, I can kind of see some dots. being So so let me ask you, you, based on this awareness, and it makes sense, actually, that, you know, you've kind of you've you've amplified the shame experience and the need to get attention experience. It used to be, you know, if you got hurt or, you know, there was shame was something that actually worked to your advantage. At least you thought. Well, at the time, I didn't feel ashamed. In retrospect, I felt shame around it. Interesting. Can you feel shame in retrospect? I would or is say that sometimes just a f- it's almost exclusively in retrospect. Like usually you're like you do something terrible when you're drunk and then the next day you feel ashamed of about it. But like in the moment, you wouldn't have done it if you Right. But the shame ashamed. actually the next moment and if you got drunk and you were ashamed of it the next day is the shame you're experiencing within the same social structure or the people that know you were sloppy drunk or you crashed your car or you fell on the pavement is happening in that moment, I guess. I'm asking, is it a construct of our mind? Does it require, does shame require us to experience it in the moment rather than 
Like I can't imagine if I wasn't aware of being shameful, of feeling shame in the moment that, you know, I was yanked out of that fight in fourth grade by my dad. I wasn't aware of it all, even though I was, um, that when I was 30, I thought back, wow, that was a really shameful experience. I wonder, in other words, doesn't it have to sort of exist within the present? I would say it's a, it's sort of like when you, you put your hand in a flame, that's the action. And then you feel pain afterwards based on that action. So I don't know if I'm answering your question necessarily, but I feel like there's the actual action that happens and then the shame is a reaction to the event that occurred. And it could happen immediately afterwards, but or it could happen years later. But I think it's, uh, you know, uh, a, a reactive sort of state. What do you think in our modern society? Let's take, you know, the Me Too movement, right? Um a lot of men, especially men, have done some really horrible, bad things. Some of them gone to jail or apparently killed themselves. Society today seems to want to use shame as a bludgeoning weapon. And is this just a modern sort of exteriorization uh, kind of amplification of what's come for you know, millennia, millennia before? Is this just our form of how we use it? Because people really seem to be, and rightfully so in many cases, with the Me Too movement, like we're going to fuck that guy over. We're going to shame him out of society. It's We sometimes call it cancel culture. There's probably some shame tied to that. How do you, how do you see that sort of playing out? Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't want to act like I'm some expert. I've just, you know, been doing some research. But, I, you know, and I think you're, you're looking at me, too, I think, you know, a lot of people would argue shame has had a positive effect. It's been good. It's that men needed to, you know, be uh, uh, awakened to what how they were behaving and the impact that was happening. And uh, shame has served as a way to discourage predatory behavior and, you know, more respect for women. So I think you could, you know, make the argument that in this case, uh, shame is a good thing, you know, as we've talked about before. But I feel like maybe what we're getting into is sort of the question of like that there are types of shame and that there's, uh, you know, uh, what is referred to as legitimate shame and toxic shame. And part of our challenge, I think, in society is to try to to sort between those two, because I do think there's also what you're talking about. There's sort of like this uh, sort of bullying use of shame and like a way to try to silence people or just shut them down. Like if they disagree with you, say politically in a way that is not constructive or mindful. But then there's something like Me Too, where there's a lot of men questioning their past behavior uh, with women in ways that they didn't before and maybe feeling some amount of shame over that. And maybe that's a good thing. Um, so I think and, and there's a psychologist named John Bradshaw who wrote a book called Healing the Shame That Binds You. And what he calls toxic shame uh, is the sense that you're unworthy or unlovable. And that's the sort of shame that you might feel in the, uh, as a result of childhood trauma or sexual abuse or things like that. Um, and then there's what is more helpful shame, uh, which is uh, a type of shame that leaves room for improvement. And it's not just a, a bullying sort of uh, thing that leaves people feeling fundamentally worthless um, or that there's no hope for growth. So I think that might be a, a challenge that we're facing as a society of like, so how do we use that productive shame that makes men, you know, think about what they've done or if we're using the Me Too example, but how do we also leave room for growth as opposed to just canceling people or making them disappear forever and like letting people learn from their past mistakes and, and grow from it? Yeah. And listening to you, I was thinking about um, the phrase, which I'm certain was said to me a number of times by my grandmother, or my Nana or my parents, you know, shame on you. 
And what was correlated uh, with that phrase? What happened? And it was usually I did something that wasn't particularly mindful or considerate, or perhaps it was actually cheating, or I don't know what the circumstance was. But it felt like a particularly, um, you know, semi-benign reprimand. Shame on you, right? But in thinking about that and extrapolating out to perhaps what you're saying, like shame as a tool to help us understand collectively and individually what is right or wrong because we've lost our way in our society. And I haven't heard it expressed this way, but the way you're talking about it does make me think that, yeah, there's there's the coaching shame and then there's the punitive shame. And and uh, like I think okay. when you're talking like parents use shame with kids a lot. It's one of the things that this author talks about. But obviously underlying that is some fundamental sense of love and compassion and empathy and that this person is on your side and that they're trying to teach you as opposed to, I think, how we often see shame wielded in our society today, especially like online and things like that, is in some sort of punitive, like, you're a terrible person, I need you to go away forever and I hate you kind of way, which doesn't leave room for that growth that I think is, uh, you know, sort of the essential thing for having a, a form of shame that's productive. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm this question is probably more for the Brene Browns and uh, the psychologist you played at the top of the episode. But I wonder if the people who do the most shameful things, the most horrendous things in our modern society, some of which we just described, Me Too movement kinds of things and cheating and stealing and things like that. I wonder if these are the people, whether they know it or not, who feel the most deep shame. Well, we've gone a few episodes without mentioning his name, but the first thing that popped into my mind, Donald Trump. Clearly, there's a problem with someone who doesn't feel shame. And like the uh, most eerie thing about the way Trump has wielded his lack of shame is how effective it is. It's kind of amazing what you can get away with if you don't feel shame at all and how how it sort of enables all kinds of terrible behavior. And and to me, it's an interesting sort of uh, double, I don't even know what the right word is, double-edged sword maybe, but like how the people who hate Trump the most are also the ones who are constantly preaching how we need to stop shaming, you know, don't shame, you know, and and that we're really not able to discern between the productive, legitimate shame and the the toxic, you know, narcissistic version. Um, and so I, because I, 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 I'll give you, like right now, we're in the middle of this pandemic and, you know, uh, it, we've just reached the point, at least where I live, that uh, obesity is a uh, qualifying, you know, uh, factor for being able to get the vaccine. I don't hear anyone saying like, oh, you're going to give me the vaccine first, you're body shaming me. You know, it used to be before COVID, it'd be like, yeah, you're kind of obese. That could lead to some diseases. That's a problem. People would be like, you're fat shaming me. You're a monster. Now it's like, yeah, you're obese. That could lead to some diseases. Like, yes, thank you. I'm glad you said it. I'm next in line, right? So so in a sense, what you're saying is that shame is this very kind of malleable thing. Like people use it for positive, for negative. It's convenient when it needs to be. It's inconvenient when it's You're a not. bully when you use it against me, but I'm right when I use it against you. Well, exactly. And that's, of course, what bullies do. And the bullies that get bullied, you know, are the ones the first to back down. It's just that, you know, they're such a bully that they, 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 they scare other people into uh, not bullying them back. But shame is a very, so I, I love the sort of origins that you described that, you know, shame was useful. But, you know, in modern societies, when we have all the conveniences of a modern society, and some people in the world don't have as many conveniences as perhaps we do, um, 
shame has almost become like this football that people just boot around. And sometimes you want to hold the ball and sometimes you want to kick it away. And uh, let's talk about it because the ways that I hear it used most frequently are probably body shaming and slut shaming. And I've gotten in trouble. Uh, and what is and what really is slut shaming? I mean, I've heard it. I've probably, you know, spoken. But what what is slut shaming without slut shaming? Well, I mean, <laughs> the way I would, de- you know, what I'm actually going to look it up. So hold on for a second while we get a real definition, and then I'll give you my version of what it is. But like, let's let's. Uh, okay. Slut shaming, according to the Wikipedia definition, is the practice of criticizing people, especially women and girls, who are perceived to violate expectations of behavior and appearance regarding issues related to sexuality. The term is used to reclaim the word slut and empower women and girls to have agency over their own sexuality. So my take on that is clearly there is a good version of this, of, you know, don't slut shame, you know, women should have agency over their own bodies and choices that they make. However, at the same time, if someone was to make the argument that going around and having sex with random anonymous strangers is not something that's empowering, it's actually something that you're using to cover up some wound within yourself, might also be a valid point of view, because it's something my therapist has told me. So, was my therapist slut shaming me like, or was she coaching me in a way to be uh, a little more mindful about what I'm doing in relationships and with various partners from a sexual perspective? Wow. This is really complicated topic because we get so um, brain tied and tongue tied around words and ideas and concepts and, and feelings. It makes you feel bad. It right. must be wrong if it makes me feel bad. Right. And there's no doubt that words matter uh, in terms of what we say and how we say things to people. Uh, I just think that to your point, the folks that are on um, are, are very, once again, the orthodoxy of shame, like we're going to use shame to teach people and teach society what to do and what not to do, are often some of the same people that abuse, you know, the positiveness of shame. And it's in when shame is inconvenient, uh, they turn it around. And this is what happens, you know, when we think about things way too much. When you say that, it makes me think of religion and how they use shame in order. And then, of course, they're doing all kinds of nefarious things. But yeah, to go back to the body shaming point of view, body shaming confuses me because we live in the most obese, unhealthy country that has ever existed in the history of the planet. Clearly, we're deeply uh, unhealthy and, and problematic issues with food and weight and type 2 diabetes and all kinds of issues. Yet, if someone is to bring that up, it is as if they are the person who has done something wrong and people who are overweight are like, no, I'm beautiful just the way I am. You need to back off. And I understand we have all kinds of problems with eating disorders and other things and we're, it's a complex issue. But where, where is the role of shame when it comes to our bodies and obesity and fat shaming and body shaming and when is it okay and when is it something that we should be addressing as a society and when is it something that's cruel and, and mean to people who are you know doing their best? So, you know, it makes me think about, and this is going back to sort of meditation and kind of understanding your own experience, the law of nature as it is. If we all spent less time trying to fix so-called society or subcultures within that society, and we actually worked on becoming more awake and aware 
of who we are in the world rather than trying to become more awake of about who you are in terms of your body or your ideas or your religions or whatever. Somehow I think that we'd probably spend a lot less time doing the very things that we actually all complain about or support and then complain about in our society. Uh, But would you tell Greta Thunberg, who's trying to tell us that we're all destroying the planet and we're all going to die unless we change our behavior, that like, hey, why don't you stop talking about other people's problems and focus on yourself? Well, no, because I feel like there's certainly, and this is a very sort of Buddhist thing as well, that um, uh, the true Buddhist will say that when there is a need to meet force with force, use it, because sometimes that is the only way to wake someone up. I think with climate change, which we don't certainly want to talk about climate change today, but is something that like most people can't see it, touch it, feel it because it doesn't really like we're not yet losing like our shorelines, although we are, but we can't see it. The polar ice caps are melting, but we're really not experiencing it other than worse hurricanes and floods and things like that. So I think that there is some value in someone who has a big voice to kind of speak up about certain things. And the same way that I think that if you saw someone, uh, you know, being attacked on the street, if I saw someone, I would hope that you or I would intervene if we could. And perhaps if we, you know, felt that we weren't going to get ourselves killed, but that we would step in in a forceful way to stop the shaming or the bullying or perhaps the violence. Yeah, I mean, I think it's complicated. I feel like, you know, we complain sometimes about something like body shaming, but isn't Greta just like eco shaming me? Like, am I allowed to fight back and be like, you know what? She should leave me alone. Like, I'll, I'll live my life however I want. Like, I, I get confused sometimes about like, when is it okay to tell people they're behaving uh, in a way that's dangerous and, and bad for them and for society and when it's like none of your business? Well, I'll tell you why I, I don't see it that way or at least experience it that way, because we all have a choice in how we experience whatever we hear, do, think, feel, people we interact with. Uh, I don't go around feeling I, I, I am not, as we all know, a fan of Donald Trump, but I don't experience uh, Donald or didn't experience when he was there 24-7 Donald Trump in the same way that my other liberal you know, minded friends experience it. They experience it sometimes on the level of being shut down and can't get out of bed like that level of experience. They experience and heard the same stuff. We've had the same conversations. I don't experience that way. Is there a level of healthy detachment that I believe is required with everything in life? Yes, I think that we need a little bit more healthy detachment. That doesn't mean being detached to the point that you're just not, you don't care. I think that we need to care, but to do it in a way that is not about you, it's about us, it's not about it, but it's about the collective. And so that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think blame and shame is something that uh, my therapist mentions a lot as a phrase. And I think that's that's what you're talking about. It's very easy to get into that blame and shame sort of cycle. And even within a relationship, there's not, very little constructive happens because that feels like much more of the toxic version. And while we're here, I think we should also, uh, we have a clip of uh, Brene Brown. She's got, uh, like I said, this very popular TED talk on vulnerability and shame. And she uh, makes a point of uh, identifying the difference between guilt and shame. 
which I think is an important differentiator. The thing to understand about shame is it's not guilt. Shame is a focus on self, guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad, guilt is I did something bad. How many of you, if you did something that was hurtful to me, would be willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake? How many of you would be willing to say that? Guilt, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Shame, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. There is a huge difference between shame and guilt. And here's what you need to know. Shame is highly, highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, eating disorders. And here's what you even need to know more. Guilt, inversely correlated with those things. The ability to hold something we've done or failed to do up against who we want to be is incredibly adaptive. It's uncomfortable, but it's adaptive. And so I think that's a great like, kind of point to maybe start winding down on here is, is what I hear there is guilt allows room for growth and recovery and there's empathy built into it, whereas shame, especially in the toxic version, seems to be much more about like you are bad and wrong and a mistake and there is no recovery for you. And that's when oftentimes these other toxic things, you know, like uh, addiction or depression or, or all the things she listed come into play. One of the things I want to say about this topic is, first of all, I think it's definitely a topic that we need to spend more time contemplating or talking about openly in society and individually in our families, et cetera. I also think that we can over-conceptualize the psychological aspects of these things and put meaning on something that probably decidedly at its core is pretty straightforward. And Brene Brown just did an incredible job, I think, of defining it in a way that I get way better than uh, and understand way better than I did even at the top of this episode. Yeah. And, and I think a good way to close is like what she talks about as being the antidote to shame is empathy. And so I, and I think one thing we see throughout our society these days is sort of like this deficit of empathy. And so I think even the bad actors, we should try to have empathy for them. Clearly, they should be having empathy for the people who are subject to their behavior. But all of us within our society, like I think if we can kind of just put ourselves in each other's shoes or at least attempt to more is going to be a, a much more productive path for us to be on than just constantly trying to shame each other. Here, here. All right. Good talking. Good talking. Thanks for listening to Hell and Wellness. I'm Rob Kramer. And I'm Matt Ruby. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can leave voice messages for us at anchor.fm slash Wellness. That's anchor.fm slash Wellness. You can also see all the shows there. And you can email us at hellandwellness at gmail.com. And if you remember, please uh, rate us and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts. Say something nice. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.